Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics' Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Well, hello there. Matt Chatham, this is the Razor Show. Uh, a little bit of a season wrap that we weren't anticipating doing necessarily, but uh, I wanted to make sure that I did it for you guys, especially for those of you uh, guys and gals who've been uh, with us throughout the season and uh, riding along here trying to figure out this team, trying to break them down, trying to see what we might anticipate they would do and guess at their performances. And, and more than anything with uh, the Razor Show, specific, specifically my my segments here, wanted to make sure you understood a little better what was going on to try to pull yourself out of the uh, myriad of storylines and narratives and things that don't necessarily always match up with what's going on in tape. And uh, I thought that was really uh, yeah, emblematic of what went on in this final game. Uh, the narrative is that there weren't enough weapons. Uh, the narrative that I've heard it as, you know, since that point is that they just could not stop Derrick Henry. And, you know, and I'll get a little deeper into what I think really happened in the game relative to the, to the Titans running game. Uh, you know, the other narrative is that, you know, just the, the quarterback's just not good enough anymore. And, uh, he's no longer an elite guy and he just, you know, maybe this is the end of it all and all those kinds of things. But I think if you would take those three storylines and, and give them a little more scrutiny and maybe just take them as givens. Uh, you know, it's kind of how I did it, jotted down. These are the three things I'm hearing about this game. Uh, and, you know, I hadn't rewatched it, uh, rewatched the coach's copy, which was, I thought was really important to check that particular one for this final show with you guys. But I wanted to check it out. And I said, hey, okay, let's take those three things. Let's take, you know, Tom's no longer Tom. Let's take they can't stop Derrick Henry. And let's take they don't have good enough weapons. That's why they didn't score enough points. And uh, let's let's apply that to what's actually there and find out if any of the three are real. And uh, it's overwhelming for me that, that, that none of the three really make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, that doesn't make it any less disappointing. And I know if you're out there, you're, you're disappointed in that the season ended early and uh i i'd say you know as a former teammate of of, of tom's and and uh you know a fan fan i don't know if a fanalist is that the right word of of a lot of those guys on this team that i've gotten to know over the years that i didn't play with but uh that are really good vets that are really great leaders that uh, really good football players but that didn't play that well uh down the stretch and that's just kind of the reality of football um i wanted to check this thing out to make sure that uh, from from memorializing purposes, uh, and that's not death, but just for remembering this season correctly, I thought it was very important to dig into that part and relay it to you because I think the Razor Show listener is a little different listener than other places. There's plenty of you know plenty of places you could have turned your dial uh, this particular week to try to figure out what happened, to vent frustrations, or to look for answers and those kind of things. You're going to get, in my view, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased to what we, the work we're doing here, but you're going to get a, a, a truer picture. And I wanted you to have the truest picture because off-season talk is going to accelerate here very quickly. And what happens within that will be guided in part by what you think happened in those games. And I watched it live just like everyone else did there outside of uh, out there listening to this thing did. You know, you watched it on the, either TV or you were there at Gillette. And I watched the game with my kid. So, um, you know, the heavy-duty analyst part isn't quite on point. I'm sitting there taking notes on my cell phone uh, with my son sitting next to me in the in the box and, uh, you know, with some other people around me. So it's not, you know, I wasn't super trustful, whatever it is I felt or thought in that moment. It was definitely a, f a fanish kind of viewing for me. And then after doing my Nesson segment, getting back, letting it all decompress while the season is over, I uh, wanted to get into exactly what was there because I think that's kind of what I owe you guys is this particular show because that's what the show has been about all year long. Uh, so before, uh, well, I'm going to end up with some sort of player player stuff. I want to kind of outline for you what I have in mind here for this particular show. I'm going to run through just a few plays. Not We're not doing back-to-back where this, where this is not a massacre show. We're not trying to hurt everyone <laughs> or cause pain by going down by down as we've done in many of the other games. We're not going to do that on this one, but I did want to do thematic plays. A few plays that I think help wrap up this feeling that I had of frustration that I'm sure the team has. A lot of these players I'm sure feel very much the same way and as a fan, I think you have a every right to feel the same way, a same bit of frustration too, because that's just what that's just a general, normal feeling to have when uh, an opportunity is missed, and I think that's 
kind of how you can look at the 2019 season. And most teams, most years kind of look at it that way. You know, we had an opportunity before us that we didn't take advantage of. And that's what the Patriots did. They were uh, they were built for much more than what they did. And uh, I'll get into that specific here a little bit more. But I also wanted to finish at the end with a little player perspective uh, because that's really supposed to be the uniqueness of this particular part of the Razor Show where I talk to you a little bit about the players' stuff and what they do now and all this craziness is upon them when it just abruptly stops you know car hits car hits the wall and oh it's over you know and uh i'll get into that a little bit at the end but first and foremost i wanted to jump into that theme of missed opportunity that i think is prevalent throughout this thing uh and i think there are two perfect plays two perfect plays that really sort of put a nice bow around what was there what was available and what wasn't seized and how that's where you get the result that you get. And I think it's important to understand that because the reason Patriots have those six rings, you know, the three that I was a part of, all this great stuff that's happened since that time. Shoot, there's a second group that have three beyond our first group that have three. And if you go back and look at a lot of these championships, we're not talking about you know, games where you win by three scores, you know, like some of these bowl games you see where, you know, Oklahoma just gets annihilated, right, in, in, a, in a college uh, playoff game there. Um, that's that's not what goes on generally in the NFL playoffs. This wild card weekend, eight teams played. There were a bunch of games with teens for scores, <laughs> you know, 16, 17. Shoot, uh, Russell Wilson, I, I don't know, I just keep hearing that he's, he and that offense just seem to avoid scrutiny no matter where they go. <laughs> they, they, they score 17 freaking points uh, against a really banged up Philly team. 17 points. It can barely generate any offense, any different than, than what the Patriots get scorned for each and every week uh, in, in their bad weeks. Uh, but they they survived in advance. Why? Because they made some timely plays, and that's really it. You know, the the cum the cum offense for them is no different than the one that sent the Patriots home. And the big difference is a handful of plays, two, three, four plays in moments you absolutely have them, and in the event that you don't have them, then you don't advance. And I think that's something that, as a fan, and I I, I think we we generally draw a much brighter fan because you're interested in hearing this stuff as opposed to a lot of the other junk that's out there. That's why you read Jeff Howe's stuff. That's why you read Nick Underhill's stuff. Hopefully that's why you read my columns as well and listen to our segments here now. But the real idea here is there is there are just hairs separating these teams that are going home and these teams in advance. And that's really what the Patriots have always been about when they've been the advancing team. They're just a little bit better. They did the little things in the most absolutely critical moments. And uh, the thing that I think you one would find frustrating here is that we're used to a growth curve that says they get better at the end. And then ultimately when it counts most, they're the team that seizes those moments. And that's not what happened this season. They did slowly improve down the stretch. I think the running game really turned into something, but it wasn't rewarded with enough rounded team play in the other areas as far as the passing game, as far as uh, some stuff defensively. And there was a, a mild regression in a really big game with one of the special teams units, which is was a little bit surprising. And I think affected the game. It didn't lose the game for them, but it, it didn't aid them as it often does. And that's that's unusual. Usual. We don't usually talk about a Patriots team that you know did get better in a lot of areas, but didn't uh, show their highest high in the biggest moment. And that's a little weird. <laughs> Obviously, that's not something we're used to seeing or or sort of uh, dealing with in, in, in from a talk sort of standpoint. But uh, that was this particular 2019 season. The improvement peaked with the Bills game and then kind of pulled back the, the couple weeks after that. And in very, very tight, close games, which is essentially all the teams in the playoff, everyone, everyone in the playoffs is pretty good. Um, and if you want to be great, you just got to do little things. There, there's going to be four, five, six absolutely critical moments. The team that executes those five or six plays wins. There aren't any three-score blowouts in the, in the NFL playoffs. There weren't this year. And there's just a bunch of games uh, that are hitting in this sort of you know teens. And uh, you know the Patriots go home with offensive gripes left, right, and center uh, from from fan base stuff, from national people sort of chiding the team and what the offense has turned out into. And uh, there's a team going on, you know, on the NFC side of the draw with a so-called MVP candidate. He doesn't finish first. And they, they put up 17 points. And I don't know if, if folks noticed that. I, I don't know why that, that bothers me so much. I think it's maybe the inconsistency of how things are, are sort of uh, – 
analyzed in sort of the in a, around the country where one team, uh, Seattle is Seattle's obviously who I'm talking about here, but they have really, really muddled offensively. But you know what? They play better situationally in just a couple moments, and that's why they get to go on. Uh, if you look at uh, if you look at uh, the overall outputs from the Seahawks team, I think they provide a really good example before we get into the specifics. This Seahawks team down the stretch has scored 17 points, 21 points, 13 points, a big week of 30, then seven, excuse me, then 12 again, a big week of 37, then 17 again. They were win, win, lose, win, lose, lose, win to finish, yet they get, they continue to go on. And uh, the scrutiny of that offense is nothing like you'd hear here. Everyone's just thrilled about Tyler Lockett and DJ Metcalf, DK Metcalf, and Russell Wilson, and everything is grand. They scored 17 points. And uh, they've had, again, weeks prior to that, 13 and 12. And uh, it's just seen through a different prism for some reason. I, I don't quite understand it. But uh, what the Patriots, the Patriots were on the cusp of being a good offensive team, and they never got over that mountain. Uh, they were, you know, they were, and this is another one of those games, ran the ball beautifully throughout the day other than short yardage, which is if they could just convert third and ones and fourth and ones and things like that. It, you know, the drives continue, the yardages pile up, and most more scores happen, but they were really bad situationally. You'll look at a team like Seattle, and, you know, they're, 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 their aggregate's not any better. But they did get those handful of, uh, of conversions they needed. Minnesota game's another great example. Minnesota converted those third and ones. Other than that, we're all talking about a whole bunch of NFL offenses that are maybe 20 if they're lucky, a lot of these teams hitting in the teens. And that's it. So everyone's a hair away from one another, and the team that gets to go on is the one that did the little things. So here's the two plays I'll sort of point to uh, with with the uh, with the Patriots. I think kind of wraps things really well. You, you look at the opening drive. Opening drive for the Patriots is a, they, they, you know the, um, the Titans deferred. So the Patriots are going to start with the football. You guys all know that. They get the ball. They have a couple bad plays early, but then they get the really long third down conversion uh, to, to keep the, the opening drive alive. Then a few plays, boom, 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 huge plays, moving the ball now. James White gets a 29-yard screen play, uh, which puts them into plus territory. They're now in Titans territory. It's this huge catch-and-run play for James. They had him absolutely scalded on the screen, set up wonderfully. He gets out there in space and makes a guy miss, and uh, they just chew up all the yards it was blocked for plus a little more. So it's like, okay, the explosive, you know, Gillette's rocking, ready to roll. And in this moment, I put this out on my Twitter feed so, so you guys could sort of visually reference what it is I'm talking about here. But I think this was one of those moments that's very, again, sort of a way to wrap a bow around the problems this offense had for the season. It was good, but it never became great. And I think in part because they failed too often to take advantage of what the defense gave them. And that's what they've usually always been so good at. You line up however you're going to line up. We know the answers to the test because if you're in this, then that means this is the vulnerability and we're going to take that. Uh, and th there were too many times this season, and this this next little sequence I think is a good example of that, where the defense aligned in something, even pre or post snap, however you want to look at it, and as things developed, there were things available, and that's not what the what the offense went for. And that that was an, uh, you know it was disappointing to see, you know, because uh, Josh McDaniels is tremendous. He's still obviously one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL. But I think it's a lot like baseball with Josh, with Tom, with the receivers, with the running backs, with the line, all that stuff. It's a lot like baseball. Ted Williams, you know, guy. He's having he has an average, a season where he's batting three sixty or whatever, and uh, you know he's he's exceptional at a rate higher than anyone else is exceptional. Uh, but there are strikeouts. And, I, I, you know, when, when Ted Williams strikes out or when Tell, Ted Williams pops up to the pitcher or whatever, or Ted Williams came back to the dugout, even with a crazy high percentage of success he had, he didn't come back to the dugout as a failure. He came back as sort of that's normal. You know, it's normal not to get a hit every single time. And I think what this season was about was sort of, you know, the, the, the reality of what it's often like for most teams in the NFL. Is Josh McDaniels any less of a play caller? Hell no. The people out there, I know there's a Twitter th 
corner of the world that thinks he's terrible. No, he didn't get to this stage over all these many years without being a great play caller. Um, but and and is Brady now stuck? No, of course not. Watch just watch the tape. I think a lot of this is decision making. I think a lot of this is uh, again not seizing the play that's available best within a, a sort of configuration across from you. So what I'm talking about here is they get the big one goes down the field uh, on the screenplay. Now you're first and you know you're first down. You're at the 25 yard line of the other team, and the Patriots ran a flea flicker. And I know there are some people that will say, oh, when they're getting cute, it's because of a lack of confidence in everything else they're doing. It doesn't fit that narrative whatsoever here because they're advancing very quickly to the spot they got in. They're moving the ball. They're not, they're not gimmicking out of desperation. That's, that's silly. And this is the first drive of the game, so it's not gimmicking because you don't think anything else will work. The other stuff's working. Um, and this, what they do, though, on first down, first play in plus territory, is they run a flea flicker, and it's it's a toss play uh, to to Burkhead, strong, uh, and uh, then a throw back to Brady, and then Brady's got to throw the deep downfield ball, and it's it's covered up. It has no chance. And uh, the, the what I wanted to sort of highlight here is just it's never wrong to be aggressive. I'm not talking about like you know trying to talk people out of being aggressive with offense, but what I didn't love about this is if you come to the line of scrimmage and you have an idea for a flea flicker, as much as I actually don't like that idea, what was aligned across from the Patriots on that play was an extremely light front. They were sort of scrambling to get back to the line. They'd just gotten gashed on a, on a, on a screenplay. And again, this out of my Twitter feed, put a video out or a still or whatever that kind of shows the configuration. The Patriots are aligned in a really heavy looking run front. So, you know, Burkhead's at seven or eight yards, whatever. Brady's under center. He's, he's about to turn and toss it to Burkhead. And the the play action, the, the play action, yeah, I guess that's that's heading there to the tight end side is uh, for a toss play that if it actually is ran, I mean, it's like a 10-yard play, no question because of this. And this is what's in that little still that I want you to check out. They only have two guys on the line of scrimmage. They only have two. Uh, to the right of center. So to that side, they have a tight end and a wing. So the YY we've been talking about, about throughout the year. And they've got, I believe it was Edelman in close. So you have three eligibles all bunched together. That's a really great blocking surface. And you've only got two guys across from you with the entire offensive line. You've got a linebacker that's the middle linebacker who I guess could potentially eventually get there. But he's six yards off middle. And there's a late safety that's deeper, eight or nine yards. And then just your corner outside of it. The point of this is just straight numbers. When you do, hey, we've got this many blockers, you've got this many defenders. You're multiple guys out in front of them. This is a toss it. Everyone's picked up. There's going to be a, a a couple blockers with no one to block, at least until five yards down the field. It is set up for easy success. You've marched to the area you're at. You got another chance for a freebie. This is the old take what the defense gives you, the thing that the Patriots are so known for. Instead, you run this really forced gimmick that doesn't work. And uh, I think that's the aggravation for me. It's it's not, hey, don't call uh, flea flickers in that position. It's Sometimes flea flickers are, uh, are are appropriate, and you know if the Patriots had had this massively overloaded front to the side where they were building that run look, well then the flea flicker may work, you know, because you're going to have someone leak out from that side that may not be the post route, uh, the, the downfield ball to, to Sanu, you know, that was part of the gimmick. Instead, you're actually really light on what the original action would have hit on. It's just to me one of those moments where shoot a flea flicker. Wait a minute, no, 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 you know whatever their audible is, fucking run right at that, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it doesn't work. So whatever, it's not the end of the game. It's not the biggest, you know, it, it just makes second and 10. And the next play is a seven yard run, which again, hammers home this point that they would run the ball in Tennessee all day long. And, uh, you know, it, it just, that, that was there for them virtually throughout the day, other than for some of the short yardage stuff. And they kind of sucked in short yardage. And that, that was disappointing to see. At least not, not sucked is maybe a little over the top. But there were a couple key short yardages, short short yardage plays that they didn't convert on, which again, I mentioned the Minnesota game. I mentioned the Seattle game. Uh, they made theirs. The Patriots didn't make theirs. And uh, obviously the Titans made theirs. So, you know, that's that's really the difference in the game. It's not all the other stuff. It's it's really, had they made those, they're winning. And we're talking about other things right now on the Razor Show. So, 
It's uh, that to me is a little bit frustrating. Uh, I think in part when you then wrap up that series, uh, well, let, let me do that. So they get the seven yard run. Now you're third down and three. So you know even with the hiccup on the overly aggressive hiccup on on first down there with a the flea flicker, you had a really nice run on second down, which uh, ends up being the only time they had a ground game uh, attempt, uh, one rushing attempt on that entire opening drive. So you get three. The one run is a seven yard run. And you don't run again. And uh, you didn't run again, you didn't run prior to that. So I think that, to me, is a major frustration because that really should have been the identity, really should have been the bread and butter for this team. And instead, it, it got a little too cute and didn't take what the defense gave you. And uh, not taking what the defense gave you is something that we usually chide other offenses about. You know, So the Patriots weren't good at that this year. Uh, they were good, excuse me, they weren't great at it. You don't get the 12-4, and four, you don't get the playoffs if you're not good. Uh, they were good. But they could not take that next level to get to great and to get to sort of playoff winning football because there were too many opportunities I think they left on the field. The third down one is frustrating in that uh, Brady drops back and uh, they're running a drag. Uh, Edelman is coming from the, the offense's right, the defense's left. He's dragging across the formation. And I don't recall the rush number uh, just off the top of my head here. It's either three or four, but the point is, Pass rush is absolutely not a factor in the play. Brady's back there at eight yards or whatever, patting the ball. There's nobody near him when he decided to let go of it. He had all the time in the world. He did not have to throw it when he threw it. And uh, he threw to uh, to Nikhil Harry on another drag. So Nikhil's drag is coming from the left side to his right, to, to Tom's right. And Edelman's drag is coming from Tom's right to his left. And the Nikhil drag was open for a millisecond, but it's coming back to a free player on the sort of far right side, a zone player uh, that I don't recall if it was a defensive back or a linebacker, but either way, someone is sitting alone with nothing to do out in the right flat, and Tom didn't see him. And uh, he threw right at Nikhil, and it was very fortunate that wasn't an interception. Um, So, again, it's not as if he was throwing that and was trying to slip it in there quickly before the flat guy uh, because of pressure. There was no pass pressure. And uh, I think the frustrating part, again, and this is why I'm getting to the whole, uh, you know, uh, not taking what the, the, what, the, what the defense gives you. And, again, take that play as I'm describing it right now. And I know a lot of the talk now is about, man, Tom just could not get on the same page with Nikhil Harry. And Nikhil Harry, the young guy, just doesn't quite have it hasn't fit this play. That's an incompletion that goes down as a nothing play in a third and three, and they wanted to have it. It was just a ball delivered to a place it never should have gone, and there was no pressure. So, you know, this is where Tom was was awesome, I think, as a leader, and it's why guys respect him so much. Uh, you listen to him on the EEI thing the morning after. You listen to him in his post-game press conference. He said it multiple times. Um, I wish I would have played better. I, I worked hard. I gave it everything I had. Uh, we had a lot of the guys in the room. We gave it everything they had. I'm so proud of them. I love this group. Uh, but we just didn't play good enough. And I didn't play good enough. I wish I had played better. I know I'm paraphrasing there, but all those things at some point and in some way were said. So I think this is a good example of that. And it has nothing to do with what Tom's no longer capable of or whatever. I think that's bullshit. Uh, th- this is a decision. You know, his brain hasn't broken. But he did not play as sharply as he often does. This is a Ted Williams strikeout, right? This is a Ted Williams pop-up to the pitcher. This is a Ted Williams, you know, shallow fly to right field uh, for, a, for, for an easy out. And I think there were a lot of those where it's not Tom not being capable of doing that. Hell no. It's didn't play well, right? And it's one thing when you say didn't play well because, oh my gosh, he can no longer fit the ball in he used to be able to fit in. He can no longer escape. His legs have just completely left him. His pocket movement's no good. Now, this is a play where that's a that's a, a, a mental play, mental error, I guess. You know, sending to a place where he didn't appear to see the flat player and trying to shove it in there quickly, and it goes down as an incompletion, and the story becomes no connection between those two. It's not that. It's not that on that play. And uh, the reason I mentioned Julian's aspect of this, and again, I'll throw this up on my Twitter feed as well, because this is the third play in that sequence. I showed you the flea flicker and the missed opportunity on the ground. And then this other portion 
is Julian's route, and I want to say that was Logan Ryan. I, I guess I didn't see because I was in coach's copy and didn't quite catch the uh, the jersey flip around. But whoever it was, the left extended corner is the one who has to come all the way across the formation here with Julian. And Julian br- drags his route left, full left of the formation, and now he's all left of, of Tom's side. But Tom isn't really looking at him. He, he looked like he wanted to get that ball to Nikhil and didn't see the flat player. Well, <laughs> Julian pulls his route off, and the defender falls down. And I don't believe at that time the ball had yet left Tom's hands. And the interesting thing is where Tom is sending the ball back to, independent of not seeing the flat player waiting there for it, who could have nearly picked it, who could have picked it, um, it's also to the short side of the field. So you're dragging something back to the more compact area on the football field and back to your left with the portion you're allowing to sort of, well, you're never allowing it to materialize because the ball's at your hand early to the right. Uh, is all the space in the world because you're on the right hash. So the route heading left only has one guy. This isn't a double Julian kind of situation. He's singled. As soon as he clears the clear center and goes left of the pass coverage, he's out there one-on-one, all the space in the world. And the beauty of it was Tom had a lot of time. He just had a lot of time. And uh, he's releasing that ball without anyone within five yards of him. So that to me is, again, an example of is Julian still Julian? Yeah. And I know people are going to point to that, and I, I would point to it. You know, he, he Julian is a part of that formula of guys who didn't perform at their best when it was needed most. You know, he has the drop late in the game. Um, but this is an example where Julian actually got himself wide open. You know, uh, he, Julian ran the route. It's to the real vacancy part of the of the formation because you know you've got field in your favor and you've got isolation in your favor, all that space to work with, which is terrifying on a drag route because then he can bend it off and there's nobody else over there. But Tom didn't wait the route out, wanted to go to the other thing earlier, and the place he wanted to go with early was actually covered up. So to me, again, microcosm play, a lot of stuff going on there. Protection, no failure there of protection, although that was a story in, in certain plays at other times of the game. So this is the danger I know I get into when I describe a play in that much detail. What I'm saying there is that plays error. And I'm not trying to say Tom did this throughout the game. He certainly did not. He had some excellent throws. He had some excellent drives. He had some points where guys just dropped balls, where he sent it to the right play early and at the right time. Uh, I thought they didn't really hammer the backs in the passing game nearly as much as they could. Uh, the backs were, you know, when they got opportunities, they made plays. And this ended up being a game where, you know, let us an example. If you want more completions to wide receivers, you got to wait it out. You hit Jules in that situation, he may score. Uh, much less just get the conversion of the third and three. But again, I think it's sort of the story of 2019. Uh, it was this is more decision than it was and decision and execution than it is ability on the field. There's ample ability on the field. It just wasn't as sharp as it needs to be, and it certainly wasn't taking advantage of what the defense had given. So does that mean that everyone's no good now and you should move on from all these guys? No, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in sports. Sometimes even the greats fail, and that's I'm obviously throwing Tom in that category. But you know, Julian is a, an absolute clutch player. There are banners hanging up there from his clutch plays in a couple different instances. And uh, does he is he no longer a clutch player? No, I mean maybe there's some distraction with the injuries and all that, or maybe it's just human error, and that happens. Ted Williams did strike out. You know, the Patriots are, have won Super Bowls at an absolutely astounding rate, six in twenty years or whatever it was. So I don't have that percentage in front of me, but it's probably pretty damn close to a Ted Williams batting average. But it's in those moments when they do screw up. It's not what the fuck is wrong with Ted Williams. It's it's actually pretty normal on a rate to not be excellent as often as they usually are. So I don't think this this changes nothing about Tom Brady to me. You know, it changes nothing about my feeling about who he is even moving forward. I think on schedule for playing to 45 if he wants to, absolutely. Because the way my opinion on that would change is if, if his body had broke down. If he had, you know, if he had thrown the ball differently. If anything differently had happened with his, his arm, you know, all of a sudden he's really having to grunt the really sort of javelin balls for the outside, you know, on deep comebacks or out routes or anything like that. Or he really has to push it to get it down the field. Shoot, you saw him do, do the Hail Mary at halftime. Ample ball. He can still throw the ball 60 yards in the air if he needs to. This is not a guy where the arm was ever an issue. And it still isn't. And uh, it's also not a guy who's now, you know, unable to get away and just scared in the pocket and just, you know, the rush is collapsing upon him. He just can't do it anymore. Um, there are certainly some skittish moments throughout the course of the year, but there's some. You know, I, I was tweeting about this in game. A patient Tom is an assassin, and watch him step, slide, and just pick people apart on a handful of those plays in that Titans game. 
Um, I do think that the relationship stuff is important with him and Nikhil. I know it's not correct to use that play that I talked about as an example of that uh, because it isn't. And uh, Nikhil's got a catchable football too. He's got drops. And uh, Ben had a drop. Ben Watson was a nice find for them, helped bridge the situation. They really didn't have a high-end tight end. Uh, I think it's a giant tip of the cap, deep bow from the hips that a 38-year-old guy came in and gave him the competence that they did. Huge catch by him on that first drive. Um, that catch doesn't happen. Maybe we're not even talking about first drive here. So it's, it's still net positive, especially with the leadership that Ben gave in the locker room. Talking to other guys, he was he was an exceptional ad. But in saying that, obviously they they don't have um, you know a super high end guy like Gronk. Not that you would need Gronk, but they don't have. Uh, it's something that I think they'll be looking forward to here in the next year. They didn't have the six six two sixty five guy that's always going to win the edge. That is your lead tight end. That's going to log seventy percent of the snaps. It's going to be there down after down after down for blocking stuff and three or four to five catches a game. That's just that guy's not on the roster. I think this team becomes much more rounded when they get one on on the roster like that. And it, that's not Gronk. I'm not talking about Gronk. I'm not talking about Kelsey. Not Zach Ertz. Not uh, not any of these guys. It doesn't have to be that. Uh, just get back to where that spot is uh, is Ben 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 of ten years ago. You know that kind of thing. Um, so. You know, it's and again, I, I I feel like if I even touch that topic, it sounds like I'm um to an audience maybe that I'm knocking Ben. No, I think I'm so glad that he came here. I think he helped get them through a rough patch when they really badly needed something because they'd missed on some other spots. So Matt Lacoste was a, was a nice ad. Uh, I think he's a depth player on this team, though. I don't think he's ever going to be a you know uh, a front line play eighty snaps kind of guy, win in the trenches, and be able to catch balls for you. That doesn't mean he was a complete flop. I think he did nice as a complimentary player, but he is a complimentary player. So the vacancy would be at you know moving forward in that front line first dude at the tight end spot, and that's off season talk, which maybe I shouldn't have, have veered into, but. I'm simply saying that to say uh, the the overall ability of the group that gets questioned because I think a lot of people sort of just revert to that when you're not sure exactly what else was going on or what else was available that didn't happen. Uh, that's where the conversation goes, and I don't think it's accurate. So um, we'll we'll see how things shake out this next season. But I uh, I was enthused when in, in, enthused and disappointed. I think that can happen actually at the same time when you flip on the tape and you see all sorts of space on the field. You see guys open in that space. You see a defense leaving a vulnerability, and the offense just not taking advantage of that uh that to me is not weapons it's not the other stuff and uh you know this is one of those conversations where if 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 you doubt me and you have every right to if you're you're a skeptical fan i can point to those places you know it's too bad we don't have a venue or a, a way to just say hey for the next three and a half hours, watch film with me, and I will walk through every single play, which isn't realistic to do on Twitter or certainly not within a column or anything like that. But um, I'll, if you can just take my word for it, I guess. That's that's what happened in this game. Uh, so many opportunities left on the field. Can't have a drop then. Can't miss a block then. Can't miss a tackle then. Can't miss a sign then. That's, there's just can't miss a throw then, those kind of things. It's just, there's too much of that. And this is actually what most teams deal with each season, <laughs> probably against the Patriots in most instances. Damn it, if we had just done this against them. But in this instance, the Patriots had their fall. The Patriots had one of their pop-ups or strikeouts, their easy pop flies to right field. So we just didn't make enough plays. That's Belichick's quote. And I know people get pissed off about Bill, about not being candid enough and not saying what was really going on. That's really what was don't we not? That was the statement before or in post game, and that was the statement he came back with the next day. It's an extremely accurate sum summary. Now, granted, a lot of the the reporters that are for more and more hot take outlets that want him to, want you to write crazy shit and want you to pretend to be a football analyst when that's not your background, want to say the weapons you had or the or the mistakes you made in management and blah, 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 blah. I, it just, it's just not accurate when you rewatch the game. You rewatch the game and you watch guys who did it for this team just 11 months ago miss a block that they needed at the point of attack to be able to get the short conversion. Or a player who I think it's it, hard to argue that they didn't have the right player in the right place at the right time who didn't make the play. Got himself open, didn't make the catch. I mean, is anyone arguing that Julian's not the right guy to have out there in that spot at that time? On that drive, no, it just the play wasn't made. It just I don't know what else one could make of that. 
you know, there's, there's Nikhil Harry looks like a tremendous upside guy and they had started really working well with one another and, uh, you know, drop a pass and, and something that really takes some momentum out of a drive. And as these other instances that I pointed to several times that, uh, man, this really nice running game that it grew in the late season wasn't always leaned upon at moments where I think it could help them much more than the choices they made. So that to me is your story. Um, now, I mean, we can go down here the list just in the event that you don't somehow trust my judgment on this. I think if you listen to the show, I, I trust that you probably do. But there are multiple short yardage runs that were failed. And I think that was, again, if you want to, here's your list. What went wrong? The what went wrong list. The multiple short yardage runs that failed. And for a team that can easily get six and seven, had lots of instances of fours and sixes and fives and sevens and eights and twelves and just really nice run game production for the day. And then can't get third and ones, can't get fourth and ones. So I think if, you know, constructively as an offense uh, with Coach Belichick and the staff and Josh and all those kind of things, I think their approach on short yardage is probably, you know, short yardage and goal line. So deep in the segment uh, and then also the stuff you do in the field where you need a short yardage play. Uh, it's probably something that needs a retooling. It's probably something that, you know, needs to go back and figure out why people are really jumping on us in those situations, yet they struggle with us so much in first and second down runs. Uh, are we tipping a little bit? Are we, are we, are, or, or do we have too heavy of tendencies where people go right at a certain point of attack part of our formations? They know what we're doing because we block the shit out of them uh, in first and second down runs. And uh, we, we don't block them so well on the other stuff. So are we too predictable, you know? And that and that's a part of sort of figuring this all out. And it doesn't have to do with the who you have stuff. I mean, again, um, Dalvin Cook is everyone's, you know, one of those favorite backs in the NFL. His productivity in the running game for Minnesota and a team that advanced was not as good as the, as the, as the Patriots backs on this day. And uh, it's lower, you know, I, I just, I, I think those things get missed if I don't point them out. Dalvin Cook, exciting player, fun player. Uh, but you know what? They converted their third and ones, <laughs> and that's why they get to move on. And this was a very effective Patriots running game that was effective in all but those short, small play stuff. Um, let's see. The multiple drops in key situations, I think I've kind of touched on that, but you, you got three different people that are involved in that, and nobody says you have to catch every pass in the day. That's obviously not realistic, but there are some got-to-have-it moments, and it's it was weird to see Patriots players who are – the stalwarts of this organization, great men, great players, uh, but not make the plays on this particular day in the biggest spots. And and people, you may have hear that in my voice and say, oh, that particular day. No, no, Matt, that was kind of a theme throughout the year. I'd agree with you. Yeah, I think that was a theme throughout the year, uh, in their losses especially, where they – they, they collectively as a group, not any one individual, but collectively as a group, weren't as clutch, you know, whatever that word means. But they're moments. The moments where i got to make the block on this play. This is the moment now. I may have missed it earlier. This is the moment now where we need the block. This is the moment now where we need the catch. This is the moment now where we need the right read and throw. This is the moment now where someone absolutely has to make the tackle. And uh, the defense was out the way much more often than the offense for the season. The offense was much more inconsistent. Did have their moments. I mean, obviously, the Buffalo game did happen. The blowout against the Steelers did happen. Many of the other sort of wiping the boards of teams happen, but uh, not to the win a playoff game kind of uh, level and not to the sort of championship level also as well. So here's the rest of the what went wrong list. Uh, the punt play stuff. Now this to me is is a little nutty because they were so good as a special teams unit throughout the day or throughout the year. Excuse me. What a great season overall from the coverage unit. What a great season overall from sort of the punt block. I mean, multiple scores, uh, multiple really good time, good things there. But I thought the punt game actually kind of hurt them on this day. Jake Bailey had an awesome season as a rookie. Comes in big leg, uh, being asked to kick off is a is a tough deal for a punter too. So his legs getting used more. Kicked off real well, non-issue there. Um, generally punted really well and still had some big balls in this game, even though I'm making a highlight here of something not quite so good. But you get into like a 30-ish net kind of situation on one punt uh, on a spot where, you know, weather's not an issue. Uh, you're going in the direction that the other punter is getting 60-yard ball, 50-yard balls, things like that. And you get a 30-ish net kind of thing. So it's not like a straight off the side of your foot shank. It still was advanced decently. But when you come up with something that even hits around 38 or 40 or whatever in this day and age, now the guys are putting it out to 55 if it's a non-fielded ball. So you don't want to see a non-fielded ball end up in the mid-30s. That's mid to low 30s. You just can't have it. That Because basically what you left out there was 15, 20 yards, a couple first downs. And when 
when this was such a heavy field position game, I, I think you can kind of look to Ryan Allen. Look to Ryan Allen in the Super Bowl, right? It's a 13-3 win game, and what did they do excellently in that game? They won absolutely every single punting situation. There was no hidden yardage left out on the field. And I think this was a game where there's a lot of hidden yardage. Uh, two big punt plays, one with 20, the other one where you kick a 50-plus yarder well into the end zone. Uh, where instead of you know pinning them at the inside the five or even just at the ten, you don't have to have the world's greatest ball to pin someone at the ten. They're taking it back out to the twenty. So uh, you know bombing it into the end zone in that situation where you're trying so hard to play uh, field position football, it's just that's just it's not a good play. Uh, it's just not the the steely kind of performance you need in the biggest game. And I know when people hear that, I don't want them to think, oh, then he sucks, he stinks, get another guy. No, no, that's a really good player. And he really helped you get to that moment. But winning and being a champion and getting a ring and all those kinds of things, or at least at this stage just advancing, is all about not making it throughout all the other instances, making it then. And uh, that just didn't happen now. It's, it's a, something you'll learn from as a young guy. Uh, and again, it, it, the important thing here that I hope anyone is listening to the show is getting that I am not saying it was player X, you know, it was not, it's not Tom Brady, it's the team, uh, Tom. And then each of the receivers certainly had their player two or three, uh, offensive linemen, you know, that missed blocks that they otherwise would, you know, the illegal man downfield by Shaq Mason, Shaq had a really good day otherwise. But that's just in that moment, it took away a monster play that ends up in nothing that, could have been something in the absence of that call. And that was something, and it was the right call. You know, it was, it was downfield. You cannot go downfield at that moment. I understand he's probably a little confused, doesn't know exactly what's going down behind you, but it's better to stay back than to go forward if you don't know. And uh, it's just it's just the kind of mental mistake you can't have in the biggest moment. And, uh, you know, that drive unraveled there because of that. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of the theme of the day. And all these people that I'm talking about, Marcus Cannon has been a, a near-all-pro kind of guy. Had a really great year a year ago and was very inconsistent down the stretch. And I'm presuming a lot of that has to do with the ankle. I'll give him that uh, gesture, I, whatever. I, I kind of presume that that's part of it. I'll, even if he may swear up and down that it's no longer bothering him and it's just performance at that point, I don't know. But uh, I think extremely highly of, of Marcus typically as, as a tackle. But, you know, he did have in a lot of these uh, – in, in, in several of these instances where they had a play that didn't go their way or a game that didn't go their way, Marcus missed some blocks in some key situations. So you have to say it. It sucks. Um, you know, you hope he's back healthy and back to his normal self next year. But I think all of this is a part of the story. Each of the guys in the line at some point had an issue like this. The tight end drops a pass. Their top wide receiver drops a pass who has a Pro Bowl-type season, doesn't get the vote, but did certainly perform that way. Quarterback misses a handful of them. They don't run in situations they need to. They do run and really well throughout the day, but don't convert their third and shorts and fourth and shorts. And uh, there's a ball game, and that's why they're sitting at home, and the, and the Seahawks with their super modest offense gets to advance. The, the Vikings with their not more uh, not more uh, competent offense move on as well. They move on because a couple plays here or there they made that the Patriots didn't. And uh, I just think that's really the the learning thing here through throughout looking at the entire sort of entirety of the tournament. Green Bay Packers is out there with a bye, and that Green Bay offense has not been that good this year. They've been really good at times with Jones. There have been a handful of of stellar games from from Aaron Rodgers, but there have been many times where they've been putrid on offense in their passing game. And uh, just doesn't get the kind of scrutiny that the Patriots does for some reason. It's like it gets, gets forgotten and, and all attributed to age and Tom and all those kind of things. But it's just not accurate. This was a season where Ted Williams had some bad, you know, had his strikeouts. But uh, I wouldn't make much more of it than that. We'll see how this offseason goes. But uh, let me finish this up with one of the penalties and key situations. And I think I kind of talked about that with the, the illegal man downfield. I would say the pass interference. Uh, two pass interference calls that unseated, that extended drives otherwise would have finished. Two third down ones. You just can't have it. It was actually a game where they let the defensive backs on both sides and the receivers be really physical with one another. They weren't throwing all the flags. I actually appreciate that quite a bit. And uh, in that environment, one of them was just, I think it was Jonathan Jones, who just was all over the guy, had great coverage, didn't have to grab and pull. But at that moment, he yanked them down as he was going for the ball. It's just not great in the moment sort of uh, discipline. And he's a, he's a great player. He had, a, had an awesome year, got banged up, fought through it. But it's just, again, it's that focus in the moment where you got to have it that was off by really across the roster. And I think that's uh, – 
you know, just it's how it goes for most teams most years. But we're not used to seeing this. But overall, I think it ends up being sort of bad situational football. Short yardage offensively and defensively. Red zone stuff. The Patriots overall were one for three, but Tennessee was two for two. There's there's your difference. Uh, that's just not how you win close games in the NFL. It always comes down to a possession or two or three, a play or two or three. And winning those specific uh, situations is how the Patriots have gotten rings. They didn't end this year, and that's why they're not advancing. Uh, I think if, if the conversation spins out of control around other things, and I know it will, uh, don't let these parts go away. And don't say, oh, but if they'd have been more uh, talented in those positions, uh, then converting and being a better executing team would have been easier. Man, these are the same people from 11 months ago, and then all these positions I'm talking about, uh, by and large. And they haven't changed that much. Just this year was those at-bats that didn't go well. And I will not be shocked if minutes later, and some of these guys are 26, 27, 28, 30, 31, back to 24, 27, bouncing around the roster, 29, 28, 23. I mean, these are not people who now suck on then 11 months ago they were awesome. It's just it's frustrating because this is football. Um, I'm going to give you a sort of an ending quote here from Matthew Slater that I think kind of sums things up. And, uh, I do a Matthew Slater voice impersonation, but he's got a pretty good speaking voice. So, uh, I won't attempt to do that. Uh, but he's a bright guy. He's an incredible, uh, up dude. He's a, he's an awesome teammate. Never was mine, but the way guys rave about him, the way I hear him sort of handle himself at the end here is, uh, kind of what it's all about. So this is not meant to be a flowery show and it's not the, everything is awesome show. Uh, we went through here a lot of the problems that kept them from getting to have a longer season, but I think they are, have a, a roster full of people with tremendous perspective, uh, really bright guys, uh, really guys who get it. And, uh, when Slater kind of soapbox here a little at the end after losing, uh, I was glad he did. And I think he had some awesome things to say. So I'll just, I'll just put the little transcript out from his quote here if you didn't happen to catch some of the columns that ran this thing. Slater after the game. Uh, this is after sort of getting cleaned up and doing sort of the availability right at the end. He says, our football team all year long has been heavily scrutinized, as it is every year. People are always ready to make declarations about our team, declare us dead, or whatever it may be. I think it's important as men, as we live life, to refrain from seeking the approval from men. If you seek the approval of other people, you're always going to be disappointed. It's never going to be good enough, no matter what you do. Someone's going to question your ability, your why, your what. You're going to question how you did it, if you can do it, and that's just going to leave you frustrated and lost. I encourage these men to stand firm in their identity because they know who they are. They know the things they stand for, the things that they hope to represent. They know the people they represent love them and care for them, and they know the pe- and they know the people that don't. How true is that? I don't think you can let people who you have little to no interaction with affect how you live your life or how you view your circumstances. As we leave here, there will be a lot of noise surrounding a lot of people in here, as there always has been. But it shouldn't impact the way these men go about and operate their lives. I hope that they do that. I hope that they stand on their own two feet and are confident in who they are and move forward. Now, why I thought it was important to read that, not just to have it be some sort of like posterized quote or something like that, but more just to kind of understand frame of mind that that really good pros, really smart pros have in the moments where disappointment happens. What Matt, I think, is getting into there that's so important is that people pat you on your back and say you're awesome and love you to death when you do it. And then all of a sudden, the minute where you don't, you suck or you're heavily scrutinized, or you're now inherently some different person, different man, as Matt puts it. And that's just not reality. So you can't ride that roller coaster that I'm validated because I did well, and now I'm not validated because I didn't do well. The reality of it is Julian Edelman is probably going to catch that pass again if it comes to him today. Uh, He probably would have caught that pass again if it came back to him. He is now not only not clutch because he's one of the more clutch players in NFL history in the playoffs as a wide receiver. Uh, he is no, he is not changed by who he is. He's now, I don't think, needs to be reevaluated in the offseason. His legs are still there. His body holds up. Eight or nine out of ten times, he's going to catch that pass. He didn't in that moment. It changes nothing before or after it. And that's something that, and this is kind of what I wanted to transition into to kind of finish the show, is 
what it's like as a player with dealing with that kind of sort of pseudo reality that's out there. You're awesome when it went well. The team was well built if it goes well. The team now sucks and doesn't have enough weapons and you're not good enough and maybe they need to get a different guy when it doesn't go well. And that's still Shaq Mason uh, who did the right thing over and over again a year ago and many, many times this year. But in that moment, ah, he went downfield, can't have that. Ah, that's Jules, didn't catch it. Can Jules now not catch? No, that's not the thing. Brady, oh, you know, sending the ball to the wrong place, and we've seen him send it to the right place for years and years and years. It's why there's those banners. It's why there's so much success. But it didn't happen today, and that doesn't inherently change who you are, but I think a lot of light-minded, dense people will think that it does. And that's kind of who he's he's chopping at there a little bit and saying, hey, you know what, don't how live or don't allow yourself to change how you live your life, how you prepare, how you scrutinize yourself for what happened. Uh, because I think as a player, you have the behind the red curtain eyes. You get to sit with a coach who knows how difficult it was to perform what you performed. They also know that you usually don't win the Super Bowl. You usually don't win every time. And that if you ended up, damn it, you were amazing. Uh, but you you were amazing at a 40% clip over the last 20 years, whatever it was, which is astounding. And now in something – so here, here here's the biggest point, and this is – I wanted to kind of close with this idea, that it if you start to evaluate the team you choose for under the presumption that they're supposed to win the Super Bowl, that they're built to and not winning it is a failure on their part, I think that's missing it because I think it, it – it kind of screws up an understanding of what it is when you do win them. When you do win them, you didn't win them because you were supposed to. The winning of a Super Bowl is a collection of of a, a number, innumerable amount of events that have to go your way in moments where you have to pull it off. It's not Jordan versus the field. It's not one guy was so more talented than everyone else, and he, you know, he just won because he's supposed to win because he's just so much better than everyone. That's not how professional football works. It's a collection of events. It's a sequence of so many innumerable different things that have to go right, and they did go right because guys made things happen in the moment. If you fall into sort of the the bottom guy of the comment section sort of mentality that you're supposed to win because you have Bill and Tom. That, that 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 will prevent you from understanding and respecting and appreciating what what is going well when it does go well and it'll also mislead you to think that uh, any moment where you don't have the absolute highest amount of success that you fucked something up no you were just more normal in that moment when you're really really fucking up we'll talk about that but i i'm not talking about guys getting blown off the ball here we're not talking about you know an offensive lineman getting driven onto his back 6 yards behind the play we're not talking about a running back who fumbles the ball 3 times we're not talking about a wide receiver who just absolutely can't get separation or get open or catch anything and again i know i meant made the separation term here it is, folks. I watched the shit out of every rep that the wide receivers took, and there were open wide receivers. And it's also not a quarterback who cannot find them. There are lots of plays where Tom makes awesome throws in this game. Delivers the ball on schedule. Delivers, delivers to where he wants to go. I have plenty of faith that he's going to be able to do this for another couple years at a really high level. Did not perform as, at his highest this year. That just is what it is. But it isn't the 42-year-old thing. It is not somebody degeneration thing. And I think that's why it's really important to sort of put these things in the correct framework because – the only reason we're supposed to be watching this shit and caring about this stuff is because we're entertained by it, that we find it entertaining. It's not here to make ourselves miserable. It's not here to argue about what they should have done for me because I wear their colors. It's not about, hey, I bought this $85 ticket. You fucking owe me a trophy. It's not that. And I want to make sure that that's abundantly clear for people to listen to this kind of show. The Razor Show is really, in my view, and in my involvement in it anyway, is to help people appreciate how awesome this game is and how hard these guys are working working and how razor thin success and failure is. And this happened to be one of the seasons of failure. It is what it is. And it kind of happens. But when we get into this really toxic, you fucking suck, you screwed up by not getting me a trophy uh, so I could talk shit on a social media site to fans from other bases or to people at some newspaper or radio show or whatever, that's the shit that misses the boat. That's the shit that has nothing to do with the reality of what this team is doing. And I think that's what Matt's talking about. And uh, I think that's why he's such a great leader. They get it. They get it. And 
when you get it, it's really hard to talk to people who don't. It's really hard to communicate with them to help them appreciate what you've done, even when it doesn't go your way. And I think that's kind of the frustration of being a former player sometimes. It's like, no, 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 that's not what happened. We failed, and we'll talk openly about a failure, but we're not going to say it's because this guy, they were more talented. No, that's not it. It's, it's life in the margins, and that's winning in the NFL in the playoffs. And the Patriots win in the margins. It doesn't now not become about those margins when they don't win. That doesn't make sense. So hopefully you've enjoyed this show. I wanted to kind of finish that little thought with, okay, now you've, you've gotten the failure. The failure has fallen upon your shoulders, and you, you sort of sense it, you feel it, and um, you hit the wall, right? And again, it's not as if I'm not, I'm completely unfamiliar with that feeling. You know, my six years in New England, three of them were Super Bowls. The first year we sucked ass, and that was real sucking, 5-11. and 11. Um, And, you know, then we had the, the, the 01 season win. The next year after winning the Super Bowl, we don't make the playoffs. We really know what, you know, the, the feeling of failure there was. Uh, but then the 05 season, you know, later on, uh, when we lost in Denver, I mean, that was a season we expected to go much further. And the season just comes to this abrupt halt. And, you know, you're just stunned. I still some stunned thinking about that feeling flying home from Denver. And uh, as a Jet, you know, we had a lot of hopes and prayers, and you don't care about that on the Patriots show. But I know my first season down there, Mangini's first year, we beat the Patriots in season. We had to go up there in the playoffs, and we had really high hopes. And all of a sudden, we we'd, we'd beaten them in that venue just weeks prior to that. We got up there, and we got just our asses kicked. So, you know, it's that feeling of everything you'd thought, everything you'd hoped, everything you'd worked for, all of a sudden don't happen. And kind of what Matt's getting at there, you know, there, there's two paths you can take. You can just beat the shit out of yourself and listen to the people say, oh, you suck, you should be replaced. And I think that mentality, that fork in the road is the people that kind of think football is fantasy football. Like, oh, fuck, that guy got 14 points. I need the guy that'll get me 18. And uh, you know what? Then you switch that guy out and you look up the next week and the guy that got you 14 does get 18 and the guy that got 18 got, 18 got you 14. Because there's a weekly variability thing. You know, this idea of whatever someone else has must be better than what I have. Look down the road. This is a great weekend to sort of learn that lesson. Look around the NFL. Eight teams played. Barely anyone could get themselves to 20 points. Some of them are now winners and moving on. Some of them are losers like the Patriots and not. But the difference between them and, you know, oh, man, if we only had Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, I mean, come on. It's that they're barely a 20-point offense either with those two and Dalvin Cook. And, uh, you know, the Patriots, their configuration slightly different, but they easily could have performed better and, and gotten much more out of the year, but they didn't. So I think that's really the best way to understand this. There is a point where you don't have enough skill to, to do the most. But you know the Patriots have enough because they constantly do the most. And this year's group of skill players, different only with Rob Gronkowski. The, the, the tight end position is really the only one that's different in skill than where they were a year ago. And that's it. And, and, and with all due respect to Rob, that's not the difference between them completely winning or completely losing. Uh, it just changes the way you got to go about things. But but again, Chris Chris Hogan and Josh Gordon out the door. Muhammad Sanu and Nikhil Harry in the door. That is not a change in talent of weapons. It's just not the story of what happened. Two new dudes came in with a mid midseason attempt, and the the group collectively did not get up to speed. Uh, but I still think there's a lot of potential for this crew. Um, but they didn't meet their potential in this particular season. That's frustrating. That's what most people generally have as an experience in the NFL. So as a player, you have that big sort of weight jump on your shoulders. It massively sort of hits you in the face and you go, oh shit, I got to start thinking about my offseason. When am I going to start training again? How much time am I going to take off? Am I going to immediately go home? I'd intended later in February to go home to wherever home is. Uh, but now I'm kind of stuck here in limbo in Foxborough or Rentham or Mansfield or or Medfield, or Franklin, or you know, up in uh, Marina Bay, or wherever guys happen to be, and all of a sudden you're just kind of sitting in an apartment or a condo or house out here, going, "The hell do I do with myself now?" And like Ted Karras, I said was was hilarious. He's like he'd already rewatched the game four times by the time he got in there Monday morning. That's part of the just you know, some guys get so tied into this, and I, I was one of those. That you ride the roller coaster, you know, and uh, that can be tough. It's extremely emotional. You know that if you'd have just done this, that, or the other. And most guys go home with that feeling. You're most really good players. I can find guys here that I have a ton of respect for that had some plays that are a little unlike themselves. Dietrich Wise, a lot of respect for that guy. Had some bad plays, and I think he'll 
learned for this, hopefully. But he had a really nice year overall. I think Danny Shelton had a really nice year overall. Lawrence Guy, really nice year overall. Dante Hightower, really nice year overall. Uh, Jamie Cow- Collins, really nice year overall. But I-, I think each of those guys can find a player, two or three in this game, or in critical moments, damn it, if I'd have been a little better then, we would still be playing football. That's normal. And you deal with that. You have to eat that shit burger and kind of take it home with you over the rest of your career or, or life after. And I've certainly got mine. I can think of those plays that I want back from those losses and how I would have just done them a little better. And that's really the truth. That's really the difference between being successful in it and being unsuccessful in it. It's not if you go get another guy. When there are those moments where you're just massively too uh, talent deficient in a spot relative to the guy across from you, that is the story. But that isn't what's happening in this one. It's not. And I would happily, maybe I should rent out an auditorium and uh, you know put up the film for three and a half hours sell some tickets or something and we can get, you know, 5,000 people to fill up a room. We'll just walk through every play. And if the people that are interested in that would be interested in that. And, uh, we could, we could, I think I could illustrate that as, as, as clearly as one could possibly do it. Uh, and you know, maybe one day in the future, something like that will happen. Cause I really do think that's the easiest way rather than arguing about it, rather than talking about it on, shows and and doing callers and tweeting and columns and stuff like that the really easiest way is to show you and to show you how the execution broke down and then to say oh shit well i've seen that guy do that right 10 times so why didn't he do it right the 11th time because it's hard to do it right 11 times and sometimes in the biggest moment you fail and that's life does that person now suck no uh do that person need to be replaced in most situations no now if you if now i'm talking about who, the guy who consistently couldn't do it throughout the year that occasionally happens and those guys will be replaced but you don't have a lot of those situations on this Patriots team. Sorry to report. I, I really do think that this is a team that had collectively more talent than teams that have actually have rings. And this group won't even have a first-round win. So that's just sort of the nature of football. Sometimes it's I, I just I get aggravated when a failure is presumed to be absence of talent. And that's, to me, bad analysis of this particular team. Anyhow, that was your Razor Show. I hope you enjoyed the year with me. I'm Matt Chatham. I'm going to be popping in and out possibly i may from time to time pop in on some shows with jeff and nick but they're going to be running the razor show ship through this off season as i go take a break thanks as always for checking in i love your your patronage here with this show bye-bye